David and I'm Russell and this is Old News. And welcome to our listeners as always. How are you? I'm a little bit tired because it's quite late for a recording. It is. I've had the worst headache all day. Just terrible. And I've been putting up with it and I've just taken a dose of paracetamol and I'm feeling great now. It's like why did they do this earlier in the day? So. I don't understand people who put up with headaches. Yeah, I'm have... that. See, the other thing was, I didn't have any pills in the house, so I had to go buy some. So that's kind of my excuse. But I've never understood people who are grumpy and just generally feeling miserable. And go, oh, no, but I won't take a pill. So that's all little take. Yeah. <laughs> don't hesitate. Self-medicate. Exactly. Yeah. Where, where do you steal that... Uh, uh, where did I steal that? Um, a book. From. There was a, a book. book somewhere. Oh, right. A fighter pilot said it in the book. Old news. Oh, so my car dramas continue. So right. I, I've ordered a new car, which is great. Hooray! You know, mm-hmm. It's in transit somewhere. Um, hasn't arrived yet. But I've just burst a bulb on my one of my he- headlights on the way here. So <laughs> while I'm waiting for a new car to arrive, I'm going to have to spend money on the old one because I can't drive about <laughs> with the burst headlight. It's like, ah, could you have waited just one more week? One yeah. week, that's all it had to do. So, so annoying. Yeah, you can get away with that. I've driven for longer than a week with one headlight. <sighs> I know, but it'll be just my luck that I get caught and then the yeah, rosers will be tut tut tut. Yeah, yeah. fine. Yeah, but is it? Can you get fined? Can you? I or? don't know. It might just be points on your license. Oh, well, that's the last thing I need if I'm going to have a new car and insurance and all of that. Disaster. I'm a little bit achy today as well because yesterday I was dragged out by a friend of mine on my bicycle and I've not been on my bicycle. <laughs> quite a while and he said right this is the route we're going to do he's like I'd be a bit ambitious but okay fine you know I'll have a go and we kind of went to Durham and did a little bit of a loop there and then probably a third of the way back at which point I just died I just I wasn't going to get any further (laughs) (laughs) and my pal said well if you want you could just he could race on ahead, go back to his place, and come back in the car and fetch me, which is what he oh, did. Oh, no. <laughs> right? So I'm just going to take this as I got as far as I could and I died. This isn't a humiliation at all. <laughs> that is oh. a long way. I mean, that's... Well, it was a 14-mile yeah. course. Well, if it was on the level, I could probably do 14 miles. I'd be knackered, but I could do it. The moment I realised on the way, the route into Durham... We ended up down by the river. Well, rivers sit in valleys. Yeah. Yeah. So you've gone so all the way down You go right the way down the hill. You're at the furthest point, and then you've got to come back up the hill again. Wasn't going to happen. Mm. <laughs> it really wasn't. Old news. So we also have one new innovation this episode, don't we? We've decided to take on just a tiny little bit of advertising. Yeah. We're going to try it. We're going to see how it goes. Crass commercialism. Yeah. Just to see if the podcast can at least subsidise itself. It does cost money to have this hosted. Mm, um, it does. Yeah. It's not a huge amount. So we're just trying to defray costs a little. <laughs> not in this for the profit. So we'll just see how it goes. Let us know if you find it intrusive. All we're doing is we're just clicking the button to say append an advert. We don't have any control of what that advert is. 
I guess no, we strongly support our sponsors unless it's something terrible. Yeah. In which case we distance ourselves. <laughs> ah, but we're still taking the money, so we can't really do that. Yeah. Well if it's something you don't like, listen to the advert, don't act on it, and then they've paid money for you not to do anything. I suppose, but you'd always argue that they've still exposed their brand, haven't they? Eee, Henny, it's our newsman. You can contact Old News on our website, www.oldnews.podbean.com. You can email us at oldnewspod at gmail.com. You can search for Old News Podcast on Facebook. You can tweet us at Old News Pod. And you can search for us on YouTube. In our last episode, we mentioned our joint episode with the Last Tuesday Project. Yep, and uh, that'll be coming up quite soon. Yeah, well, it'll be on the last Tuesday of the month. So, Which, as of recording, it hasn't been released, but you never know. It depends how long I yeah. take to edit this. So, that'll be Tuesday the 28th of November. Keep your eyes and ears peeled for our various communication channels and we'll let you know when it's available and free to download. I noticed in their latest minisode that uh, they make a nice reference to our BSC episode. Did it? Yeah, I, yeah. I saw them tweeting about that, but I haven't listened yet. Yes. So what is it? What do they say? Well, because their minisodes are made out of the recycled parts that don't go into the main episode. Yeah. He, he referred to it as mechanically recovered meat of podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's quite funny. <laughs> right. Old news. Well, should we talk about the topic at hand? Yes, yes, we should. Yes? Okay, great. This episode of the Old News podcast is all about the Baltic Centre for Contemporary Arts, or as everybody might call it, the Baltic. Right, so this is something which you may not have heard of if you're not from the northeast of England. Just on one thing of branding, have you noticed how... Baltic is actually branded in capital letters. All caps. Does this mean we should shout it? Baltic! (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Branding, it's bizarre. Here in the northeast, our main city is Newcastle. This has kind of a slightly unique situation in that you've got the River Tyne in the centre. To the north, on the north bank, you've got the city of Newcastle, and to the south bank, you have a town of Gateshead. It, I think it's always been kind of the case that Gateshead was always played slightly second fiddle to, mm-hmm. to Newcastle. Newcastle, and there was a great push starting in the 90s to jointly market these two places. They became Newcastle Gateshead for tourism advertising and development corporation stuff or whatever, and there was a very large empty a flour mill, which was the Baltic flour mill on the south bank of the river, on the Gateshead side, so on the poorer, for want of a better word, the less developed side of the river. So this was converted into a big contemporary art gallery, art centre in, in 2002. So you've got a little bit about the history. The building was originally designed in the 1930s, but wasn't built because of the war. Right. And it wasn't built until uh, 1950. It was completed in 1950. Now, I always thought it was much older than that. Because mm, it has that style to it, It right? really does. I've always thought it looks like something out of the original Batman film. 
1989 large pile of brick sort of art decoy style to it it's very much a, a 1930s design very similar outwardly to the Battersea Power Station. Yes, good point. Yeah, yeah, and even the South Bank Power Station in London as well, which mm. became the Tate Modern. Yeah, aside, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was one of several flour mills on the Tyne. All the others have been flattened and redeveloped over. Mm. It closed in 1981. So it didn't have a huge life, no, industrially, no, no, not at all. I, again, I thought it had been there a long, long time. It was a landmark. It was a landmark, but not as much as I always thought. Mm. And it had closed a lot later than I thought as well. I didn't realise that I was alive while it was still mm. operating. And it says something about for the whole of my youth that side of the river time was essentially derelict yeah there was nothing there yeah big question why is it called baltic why is it called the baltic flour mill i had no idea about this not mm. at all there are two common myths there, there are several theories there are two very common myths one is that it's named after the baltic exchange in london okay. where they used to sell flour on the exchange which kind of you can sort of see the link there the other one which is what I always thought is that that's where most of the the grain came from the Baltic so Mm -hmm. you know it's like a main sort of export point for grain in that part of the world yeah Yeah. but although some of the grain did come from there it was by no means an important part of the importation Mm. it's mainly because uh, the Rankhovis company who built and owned it yeah. named their flour mills after bodies of water. All right, so, so that. Right. Yeah, there were several of them named after rivers and other seas and so on. So it just happened to be the one that got named after the Baltic Sea. Right, okay. The Rankovis organization is also the same people that used to make movies as well. Yes. Yes, I always find it bizarre. Like, yeah. We're in the flour milling and baking industries, but also movies yeah. as well. Yeah, <laughs> that's very strange. Any, anybody who's never watched any British cinema from 50s, 60s, 50s, 60s yeah, yeah. really has no idea the, what it is. The talking, man with the gong. The big gong. gong. Bong. Old news. We wanted to talk about this because it's an important point about art in, in the north of England. So just to sort of set that context a little bit, do you remember the year the visual arts is in 1996? Right? Mm-hmm. Which, as far as I can remember, it revolved around going around slapping paint on things <laughs> and claiming this is done in the name of the year of the visual arts. Oh, yeah. They put a wiggly line on the ferry that runs across the River Tyne. Great. But that was done under the auspices of a thing called Northern Arts, which is kind of the, the state-funded arts body for this part of the world. Do you remember when the Angel of the North was first erected? I remember it happening. I don't yes. remember what year it was. So that's 998, and that scene has been a bit of a turning point for kind of the relevance of our arts in, in this part of the world. If anybody doesn't know what the Angel of the North is, go look it up. It's it's, it's iconic. Do you like it? Are you in favour? I've come to like it. I didn't used to. I've sort of got used to it. Yeah. And having walked up to it a few times and had a good look at it. 
Yeah, I've come to like it. Yeah, I've changed my opinion because I was against it because the main sort of icon for the Northeast in terms of visual presentation was always the Tyne Bridge mm-hmm. or the new Tyne Bridge, as it's strictly called, which again, I'll leave the listeners to look up if they're not familiar. There's a big arch or a steel bridge, which is very iconic. I always thought, oh, well, why do we need to compete with something that we've already got but yeah i've come round to it i think it has been a bit timeless it doesn't look dated like the way i thought it might mm-hmm. you know it doesn't look too much obviously it's a piece of modern sculpture but it's not horrifically you know it 20 years distance it, it still looks okay yeah 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 whereas there's plenty of other bits of modern art around the place which you just think oh that's that's a terrible piece of junk so we've got that in 1998 then there's the Millennium Bridge, which is built. And this is a footbridge that runs between the two sides of the river. And again, I worried about that detracting from the Time the, Bridge. The Time Bridge. Right. And it doesn't. It really. I've always thought oh, it, yeah. com- it complements it. I always thought it complemented it. From the moment I saw the design sketches, I thought, oh, yeah. Because when I first heard they were going to build a bridge, I was like, hmm. When I heard it was going to be a footbridge, I thought, well, that's even more pointless. But when I saw the design, I thought, oh, actually, yeah, that that really works. One thing I am disappointed about is that they describe it as the the blinking eye bridge. To me, it doesn't blink. I don't know how I'm going to do this on a podcast. So you're going to mime. I'm going to mime mime a bridge blinking. Right. But to me, that means like it should be a V shape that Uh closes up. Like a Venus flytrap. Like a Venus flytrap. Right. But what it actually is, is a V shape on its side that just tilts. Yeah. So if you're looking at it from the right angle, you could say it looks like it's blinking. But only from the right angle. If you're looking at it from the side, which is where the majority of people see it from I think you're taking kind of I'm taking it literally an architectural that. sort of inspiration really very li- literally I, I know uh, I am I know and, I it am, was, but... and it was sort of nicknamed that wasn't it the blinking eye bridge but actually it's the the, the millennium bridge it was the gateshead millennium bridge mm. right let's not forget mm. right so that's really good and the arch of that bridge complements the arch of the older more iconic bridge i think yeah. and the whole kind of scape what uh the time gorge yeah you see, that all really kind of plays in and then right next to that at the end one end of the bridge you've got the baltic art center right this is enormous sort of artistic space opens up at the same time you've also well a similar time 2004 you've got the the, the sage, sage gates head, head isn't as it, it was yeah. then it's now just the sage. the sage yeah which is a big opera house a big live music facility it's yeah. enormous it's huge it's a big asset for the northeast here's a question have you ever been to listen to any music at the sage yes how many times once once it's been open for twenty years. I've not seen. I've not been to anything there. Not a thing. No. Okay. Except for ooh, the university thing. So you've got this enormous opera house with next door. We've got an enormous contemporary art space that, that's all opened up, and it opens with a big fanfare in on the thirteenth of July, and there's a very famous at the time arts. Arts commentator would be the phrase. Critic. Art critic. Art critic, that's the word I'm looking for. Brian Sewell, who who's now dead, but he said that the the exhibition was too good for the North. And this created 
an enormous amount of headlines, especially locally. All the local news ran with it. The local newspapers ran with it. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And I must admit, it really riled me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Me too. I mean, I, I never liked him. He was a horrible human being. He was snooty. He was snooty, arrogant. Metrocentric. Metrocentric. All the things that people in the north are going to dislike, right? (laughs) Do you not think they were all sort of performing roles here in this story? A little bit. But if someone... He he was just a horrible person. He never had anything good to say about anything or anyone at any time. Yeah. I never heard him say anything good. But one of the great joys of that was when he said it's too good for the North, the Baltic seized on this as an advertising slogan. And I remember they took out a load of bus advertising and every bus in the Northeast had too good for the North, Baltic Contemporary Arts Centre. Right. Right. And everybody who was everybody went to go see it. Yeah. I went. Mm. Did you go? I went, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think a lot of people just went just to say bollocks to you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go, right? I must admit, I remember the exhibition itself. I would say there was probably only one piece there that I thought was actually worth anything. <laughs> but <laughs> Fair enough. Mm. I went, yeah. So there's there's a later point when he then comes to the Northeast. There's an exhibition a bit later on by a group called the Cobra Group, who I don't know a huge amount about other than Cobra stands for the three cities they were based in, which is uh, Copenhagen, Brussels and Amsterdam. And they're kind of seen as being one of the last major art movements of the 20th century. And Brian Sewell comes to Gateshead, goes to the Baltic, goes see the exhibition. And he's a bit snooty about the exhibition. Oh, there wasn't as much paintings, I thought, or whatever. And then when asked about Newcastle and Gateshead, he said it was thoroughly unimportant and that you know the center of the universe was still london he was saying that the audience in the northeast isn't sophisticated enough to understand such things mm-hmm. and said it'd been a waste of time to come how much of this do you think is just being a controversialist to get in the press quite a lot see if i say all of it i'm going to contradict myself because mm. i honestly think he was like that and thought that but we need him to be the bad guy I think it says something about self-confidence of people in the Northeast that that really did anger us. But I, th- I, th- I think the idea that we're not sophisticated enough is just bunkum, right? Because mm-hmm. we're a highly educated part of the world, much as anywhere else in the UK, I would imagine. I think the only argument that holds water is the depth of the audience. There maybe just isn't enough critical mass yeah. in the smaller parts of the UK to justify an avant-garde art scene yeah to justify a center of such a size is there physically enough human beings in the northeast i mean i have crossed the doors of the baltic probably i don't know once every couple of years you know i have i have been a regular visitor mostly when i've just sort of had a bit of extra time to kick about and i've gone oh i wonder what's on in the baltic and gone in and i would say probably half the time i've gone no that's interesting and another half the time i've gone well this is a load of rubbish yeah (laughs) so are you essentially proof of what ryan sewell said 
No, I'm not required to like everything I see. No. I think there's a bigger question here. Is I think this is very deeply rooted in class. Mm-hmm. I mean, are we, as kind of a broadly working class region, I mean, we obviously have a middle class and an upper class, but we're a very working class area with working class values. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's harder to encourage those populations into such a place? Yeah. Why? Why? There's an instant reaction of, oh, I'm not interested in that sort of thing. Yeah. It's not for me. Yeah. And it, it is, it, I think a lot of people are very frightened of talking about this, but it is really a class issue. You know, like We don't have any problem talking about different ethnic groups being excluded from spaces. If black people or BME populations are refusing to get engaged in a certain aspects of culture or whatever, we will have a discussion about why doesn't this art form appeal? Why don't people engage? What can this public service or whatever it is do to have outreach to BME populations? Yeah, We have that conversation all of the time whether it's successful or whatever side of the argument you're on there's no shame in having that discussion and yet when we talk about class and we say that there's an enormous class barrier to people engaging in contemporary arts or even the arts more generally people clam up people are embarrassed i think there's a lot of working class people kind of say they're embarrassed to be called unsophisticated yeah that's not my point they yeah. are sophisticated they have their own tastes, they have their own wants in terms of the arts world, or maybe just getting people to cross the door, they'd go, oh yeah, this is really good, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, that's what Brian Sewell achieved in a way. Yeah, got yeah. lots of people there to prove them wrong, yeah. Yeah, I imagine once people are through the door, then they do engage. I was just wondering that really what the arts needs in areas like this is more Brian Sewells. Oh, <laughs> That makes my skin crawl. <laughs> yeah. The counter to my argument is what you were talking about earlier when we were chatting about the episode, about the Turner Prize in 2011. Yeah. The Turner Prize is a very prestigious modern art prize. Yeah, it's the sort the, of main monthly prize, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And it's the UK. usually presented in London at uh, Tate Modern. Yeah. Yeah. It has been presented in Tate Liverpool. Which is a branch of the Tate, yeah. Once at the Baltic in Gated. That year it got much higher visit numbers than ever before, just purely because it was up here in the Baltic. And that says something about the latent number of people there are in the Northeast wanting to go visit that type of exhibition. Yeah. 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 Now you mentioned, well, is that not just because that audience is willing to travel from London Mm. well probably yes you're gonna get that hardcore group of people who always want to go and see the Tate exhibition but what it proves is there's there's people from the northeast who would like to go and see the Turner Prize exhibition but can't because it's always in London and occasionally in Liverpool and I think really that's the best way to engage people isn't it to get past the barriers it's to give them an excuse to go yeah it's the Turner Prize it's a big thing it's a famous thing and doesn't come to Newcastle very often yeah 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 
Do you think that means we should, just as a matter of public policy, break the metrocentric thing and move those things around the country generally? I certainly think it's worth thinking about. Because I imagine the audiences in places like Cardiff or Glasgow would probably be yeah. just as receptive. Yeah. There's a modern art gallery in Glasgow. I've been there once and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I would say I enjoyed that better than I did any of the times I've been to the Baltic. Oldeth. Newseth. The News Podcast, as always, would like to extend its thanks to bensound.com for them supplying royalty-free music, and also to Mr. Peter Kitson for the use of his voice. One of the little parallels I wanted to draw was the experience of Elsewhere. This is a very high-risk game, and I think people saw what happened in Bilbao in Spain, uh, which was kind of a, an industrial, post-industrial, slightly downtrodden northern city in Spain, and they built the branch of the Guggenheim. The Guggenheim decided they wanted to have like a European outpost, and they based it there, and they have the big signature building designed by what's-his-face, you know, whatever. It's very iconic. <laughs> that, that famous architect. What's, what's his, his face? face? Yeah. Senior, yeah. what's his face? <laughs> uh, he's not senior. Anyway, um, <laughs> and so there's this massive kind of influx of not only public money, but people come to visit. It's like it becomes a centre for regeneration and cultural activity. It really puts Bilbao on the map and makes Bilbao a tourist destination. And so I think a lot of places saw this and thought, oh, we can have a slice of that. Mm-hmm. Right, we we can do the same, and so Newcastle Gateshead is an entity sort of decides to do that with the projects we're talking about, but also we've got other ones elsewhere, and the classic was the Public, uh, which was like a, a multi-use art centre in West Bromwich. Now West Bromwich is sort of one of these smaller conurbations in West Midlands. They ha- kind of have the same vibe as a lot of former industrial places. Mm-hmm. You know, they're a working class area. They're place which perhaps has been economically stagnant for a long time needed redevelopment and so they built this big contemporary arts space and after two years it closed down because it was costing £30,000 a week the local council really just couldn't sustain that cost you mentioned another contemporary art space more locally, didn't you? Yeah, in Stockton Arc, spelled A R C. It was a similar kind of thing. There was a it was a multi-use facility, a lot about the performing arts. Mm-hmm. So there was, you know, dance, there was cinema, there was theater. And again, it was built to regenerate another, you know, it wasn't expected to regenerate the whole town. Yeah. Stockton's quite a big place, but yeah develop an area of stock and replace a few buildings that had become if not derelict then nigh on and something similar happened uh didn't take a note of how long it was open but it was open for a short period of time ran out of money and had to close down it has since been reopened rather successfully but having to be much more commercial than different guys Yeah. yeah I've never understood why smaller places think they could do it. It just seems bizarre to me, you know? Wherever you are, there's always going to be a certain proportion of your population that's going to be into the arts. Mm. And 
that proportion probably doesn't change much geographically. It's probably within a fairly narrow band. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but this I'm is all so. yeah, theorising here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You should also know how far people are willing to travel. Yeah. But do you think that group of people in any town or city or municipality or whatever, they're always quite an effective lobby. Yes. They're middle class, they're educated, they're articulate, they're the kinds of people that will speak out on behalf of the arts. Yes. They're also the kind of people who will be in government. They'll be the kind of people who are councillors, who are parish councillors, county councillors. Yeah, borough councillors. Borough councillors. Yeah. Because I think this is the thing, isn't it, where public money gets attracted to these projects because they see dollar signs, oh, if we put money in, you know, we'll become a great success. But this is the thing, isn't it? It's so easy to oversell these things. And a lot of this was funded through lottery money and, you know, kind of around the turn of the millennium. The moment that money's dried up and you have to sort of think about the day-to-day. It's old news! What really annoys me is that in any sort of place, you've probably got existing organisations that that you could invest in. Yeah, Yeah. you've probably got further education colleges who probably run arts classes and arts access for mature students and young people and whatever. Mm -hmm. You've probably got a university nearby, you know, with probably with with an art gallery and arts departments and so on. And you've probably already got a municipal gallery of some type. Why not just invest in those if you want to expand arts access? Do those things. Yeah better maybe bring them together build extensions to those things mm-hmm. rather than building these sort of set piece high risk yeah. boxes you know to put things in but then having said that are, are the gated keys nicer now than they were when we grew up or worse now they're a lot nicer yeah. <laughs> you can barely measure <laughs> how much nicer they are Oh yeah, it means a piece of redevelopment. They're fantastic. Uh, yeah, in in that sense, the entire quayside on both sides of the river is an amazing place. It's a lovely place to be at any time of the day or night. Really, yeah, that's true. Yeah, because uh, for what they were, yeah, and what they were were derelict keys. I mean, keys, it, was a, um, it was a shipping yeah, import export, yeah. wasn't it? You know, the, I mean, this is one of the reasons why the flour mill closes, isn't it? Because ships don't come that far up the river anymore. Mm-hmm. Ships are bigger, so no one's going to go up channel there. There was a commentator on the BBC a little while, while ago. I tried to find his name and I can't find him. But he was talking about the success or not of the Blair era, right? And so this is slap bang in the middle of that, isn't it? He was saying that what's left of the Blair era in Gateshead is an opera house and we can talk about social access to opera houses Mm. and a contemporary art centre that has no permanent collection you just look at the social problems elsewhere in Gateshead and you wonder why people feel disconnected or angry about the way public money is spent there's a key difference here because when public art was done in the past I think a good example is Art on the Underground in London. There's a whole policy there which dates back decades of very fine architecture of its era, you know, when they constructed tube stations. And on the internals of tube stations, things like murals and mosaic and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. They even have poetry and 
whatever incorporated as, as part of the experience of using the London Underground. To me, that's the type of art that people genuinely engage with, that people have a relationship with. There was a really good 20-minute documentary they did on YouTube with Transport for London, where they're redeveloping one of the uh, stations, and there's a load of mosaic there that's all had to be taken out and, and moved, and some of it's been preserved, repaired. There's a little bit they just couldn't do anything with because the design of the station was changing so they've taken that out and moved it to a, an art gallery somewhere else you okay. know like to preserve it mm-hmm. And what's really interesting in, in that documentary is that you've got the artsy-fartsy conservators, you know, the, the commentators and the critics and so on, right? And they're pro-art. Yeah. But the people actually doing the work are kind of your working-class skilled men, skilled women, doing the actual grunt work of mm-hmm. cutting these things off the walls and physically moving them. Is the project progresses through the documentary. The biggest advocates become the, 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 the workers. Work. They become really powerful passionate about it they understand the art they appreciate this beautiful thing they've lived with all this time and they're going to see it in a whole new sort of thing so a piece of art that's been there since i think like the late 70s early 80s has found a whole new lease of life because it's all been redeveloped that sort of art spending is often a lot more worthwhile than places like we saw in west bromwich you know thing yes I absolutely see your point and I do agree with you but I find it difficult to not come back to it has actually worked pretty well on the quayside. I would possibly suggest that if the Baltic were to close, people wouldn't care. I think if the Sage closed, people might, because the Sage is a new building, a nice looking building that the people of Gated, from what I can tell, have become quite attached to, and a place that a lot of people have been at. They've been to the Baltic and to the Sage, but a lot of people have been there and had a good time. You know how you can go to the the Baltic and you go, I haven't seen anything that was any good this time. (laughs) Yes. If you go into the Sage, you're almost always going because you've got a ticket booked for something you want to see. They have more relationship with the venue. And they do a lot of sort of stuff you wouldn't think of as having anything to do with a music centre at all. You were calling it an opera house. Mm, I wouldn't call it an opera yeah, house. It's it's a music centre. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've been to what amounted to a pub quiz there once. Right. They have things like that. Just to, And they have spoken word festivals yeah. and that kind of thing. I mean, yeah. you asked me before, have I gone to see music? I have. Mm-hmm. It was a tin drum concert. <laughs> All right, yeah. I think they have a better grasp of reaching out to the community and just getting people in yeah. to the space and using the space for lots of different things. Yeah. Because do you think the main thing that sells the Baltic as a structure is just the nature of the structure? It stood for 30 years unused. Yeah. And was still iconic. Maybe it would still be... People would just default back to that relationship with it's this big thing that stands on the quayside, even if we don't have any access to it. There's an interesting parallel with the South Bank power station in London, which becomes the Tate Modern. You've got the Tate Gallery, and that gets split in two halves, so now you've got the Tate Britain and the Tate Modern. The Tate Modern's the big power station. But have you ever been there? No. Because I went there once... Not long after it first opened, and went round and went, what all the rubbish, modern art. <laughs> I was so close-minded. There was only a handful of things which I took on board, including the pile of bricks. Do you remember the pile of bricks? 
Yes. There's a whole scandal about there's a piece of art, a pile of bricks. It cost umpty tum thousand pounds of public money, and everybody went, "Why are you spending public money on a pile of bricks?" So I engaged with this piece of art purely on the grounds of, "Oh, it's the pile of bricks." Everybody was talking about a number of years ago. <laughs> I'm not sure I got much out of it. But I went back to later date. I think where I kind of matured a little bit and really enjoyed an awful lot of it or was just open to this thing. I don't get it, but I'm still responding to it, you know. Mm. It's pretty. It's not pretty. It's, you know, whatever. I don't just reject it out of hand now. Mm. Yeah. That's something we haven't talked about, actually. That's just popped in my head. Okay, go on. It was supposed to be a sort of art factory. Okay. And you were supposed to be able to watch art being created mm. actively. Have you, when you've been there, seen any art being created? Not really, no. I haven't. I've Not seen empty studios. Now, admittedly, I haven't been very often. Um, yeah. Again, like you, I've been once every few years. But do you think there would always be an artist in residence? So yeah. even if those were spaces were being used in some sort of educational function. Yeah, which is what I think they do get used for. Mm. But it's not the art factory in air quotes that it was yeah. sold as being. Yeah. when it first opened if it was going to be an art factory presumably in 20 years time we might have been able to name an artist from the northeast yeah, yeah. or who'd owed their what's the word their, their, big reputation. Break, their, yeah, their reputation yeah their yeah. through. and I can't say that I do maybe if I moved in those circles I probably could but mm. there's nothing that enters the public consciousness no. you know because I am literally just a lay, a lay person I'm a punter coming through the door yeah, that's a good point. Whereas a good example of that being doing well is just down the road in Sunderland, which is kind of the other regional city just to the south, where they have the, the National Glass Centre. Yes. Yeah. So they have an entire exhibition devoted to not only industrial products, but also kind of artistic presentations in glass. But they have the workshops there, which are related to the, the university art department. Yeah. Right? So not only can you go there and see demonstrations once a day or whatever, it's done in a very educational outreach kind of way, but also you can see the artists working or even if like, yeah. student artists and artists in residence doing it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's they're just doing it in one medium but I think that's very well done yes I absolutely yeah. agree I've only been to the National Glass Centre to look at the glass so to mm-hmm. speak once but yes I saw everything you just mentioned I saw artists doing stuff I saw like a presentation I was going to say it's obviously happening all the time I don't have enough evidence for that do yeah. I I should be careful of saying things like that <laughs> You say there's only so much you do with artistic presentation. I think one is exhibition and the other one is more in the doing. Mm -hmm. And I think that really kind of appeals to me in, like, the doing of. Well, it's old news. Yeah, so I think the Baltic is still a success. I know they have had financial woes, but they seem to have turned that around, so good for them. I mean, I wish them every luck in the world. I hope it still stays open. But I think what we've talked about is there still seems to be like a lot of risks around that type of thing, isn't there? Yeah. That I think it could be so easy, could have the public funding rug pulled from under it in austerity and whatever. Tastes could very easily be ignored and it just becomes an island 
of middle class people talking to middle class people and people mm-hmm. become disengaged. But I suppose that's probably true of all contemporary art spaces, I guess. Old News is available on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Player FM, the Apple Podcast app, and all your favourite podcast apps. We're also on TuneIn Radio, and Amazon's Alexa and Google's Assistant can play us just by asking. Technology, yeah? something a little bit about our comfort zone very much so yeah yeah well that's what i wanted to do with this episode i thought it'd be interesting to do something i think we've been a bit controversial as well yeah yeah we've expressed our opinions and this is probably going to be a good one for people to voice their own opinions on that would be great yeah how do you feel about the way money is spent on public art around where you are you know yeah. and how does it contrast to our experience of the northeast yeah that'd be really interesting right excellent i've okay. enjoyed that be good thanks for listening Thank you. See you next time. Cheerio. Should we talk about the topic at hand? Yes. Yes, we should. <clears throat> yes, yes, we should. Yes. Okay, great. So, this week's, this week's, this episode of the Oldies podcast is all about the Baltic Centre for Contemporary Arts. Bong, bong. by Gordon Brown which is very exciting <laughs> it wasn't really uh, <laughs> I got to ask a question there actually of uh, Gordon Brown yeah uh, well of the panel which was Gordon Brown uh, the Irish fella who does the big poverty history campaign um, not really. oh I guess you do Bootown Rats and did Live Aid and oh, Bob Geldof. Bob Geldof. Bob Geldof. There was Gordon Brown, Bob Geldof, and uh, the fellow that organised the Big Poverty History Campaign, which I can't remember his name. He's probably the most worthy of the three. And uh, I asked a question, and uh, the oldest went, No, rubbish idea. <laughs> <laughs>